Welcome to the Forthright Women podcast, where we're dedicated to revealing what keeps women leaders successful and sane. We address challenges like being an executive mom, enabling more women to rise, and fueling our own minds, bodies, and spirits. These conversations are unapologetically real, insightful, and from forthright women themselves. Let's do it. Hello, forthright women. This episode you're about to hear originally aired on our other podcast, Marketing Smarts. We thought this community would appreciate it too, as it contains rich and relevant insights to help keep all of you female leaders successful and sane. So let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about a topic that has come up a lot in our coaching sessions lately, and that is how to successfully manage and really even more than manage, have tough conversations. There are many, many instances and situations where tough conversations need to be had, but for a whole host of reasons, people avoid having them. And that might be things like you're uncomfortable, you don't know what to say, it's easier to gloss over or avoid giving feedback than being direct, or you know, here where we are in Cincinnati, we're Midwest nice, you name it, there are tons of reasons to avoid them. Which means these conversations can be quite traumatizing for <laughs> for many folks. Um, but like everything, having a process and recommendations that you can count on can make these conversations less traumatizing. Yes. And with that, let's jump into the four tenets of tough conversations. Number one, do not wait to have the conversation. Don't postpone it because you're nervous, uncomfortable, afraid of hurting the other person's feelings. Have it in a timely manner. We just talked about all the different feelings that are associated with tough conversations. They're called tough for a reason because they can be emotionally charged or they're uncomfortable or you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. There's a whole bunch of reasons not to have them. But really, out of respect for the other person, strong work relationships are grounded in the ability to have the tough conversations. And the fastest way to erode relationships is not to do this because really then foundationally, you're disrespecting the other person. They deserve to have the feedback and they deserve to have it as situations happen so that everyone can remember in greater detail what actually went on in the situation and then very quickly get into what are we going to do to fix it for the next time. We've talked about the fact that avoiding conflict is just a natural human tendency, but this situation isn't about you. Again, it's about the other person that deserves to get the feedback. So really, we say you have to put your personal feelings or past experiences around tough conversations aside admit that you are worried for fill-in-the-blank reason, you're not great at confrontation, you're afraid the other person's going to be upset, you know, you you don't know it could turn into an argument, you'd never know really what the outcome is going to be. But one of the best things to do is, again, to have it in a timely and relevant situation because then it's a lesser deal in the long run. The longer that you wait to have the conversation, the bigger the elephant in the room gets. And in our experience, people pick up on that, right? Mm -hmm. If you're upset with someone or you feel like they didn't do their job or a client's disappointed, right? They may not know the reason that your behavior has shifted, but they will pick up on it, especially when you're in work situations, right? You spend more time with the people you work with often than you do your own family. And so people get to know each other and really like to an emotionally foundational way and they can interpret 
how you're acting and then quickly get to this is something about me. Yeah, and I think what a lot of people will say, we're like, I'm waiting for the right time. And I, <laughs> That's called an excuse. Yes, there is never a right time. I mean, there's never a right time to give feedback, especially if it's going to be somewhat critical. But you're absolutely right, April. I mean, it has to be timely because if you wait too long, then you're right. It You, you call it the elephant in the room. You call it the snowball. Those emotions start mm-hmm. to build to astronomical levels. Then it's really, really hard to bring the energy back down mm-hmm. because resentment starts setting in. Um, feelings of frustration start setting in. And really, you're doing a disservice to everybody on your team if you cannot deal with the feedback in the moment because nobody has time to waste. I mean, time mm-hmm. is our most precious commodity. We don't have any time to waste. You're pro programs, your deliverables, your business does not have time to waste. And it definitely doesn't have time for you to sit there and waffle about whether or not you can or can or shouldn't give the person feedback at that time and place. Now, we're going to talk about this later. You don't necessarily need to give the feedback at the moment it happens. <laughs> no. Um, in fact, oftentimes you shouldn't. No, right. But it needs to be in very close proximity to that so the person can relate to it. Otherwise, it's kind of like, when did that happen? Mm-hmm. You know. So we're going to get into a lot of that. But I just wanted to make and, and reemphasize the point that there is never the right time. Yes, exactly. All right. Number two, prepare for the conversation. So preparation is going to be the key to success here. When I talked about not making this traumatizing, preparation is going to really, really help. So you really want to write down all the points that you want to make and have examples, okay? It's not enough just to make the statement. This is where a lot of people get into trouble as Mm -hmm. they're trying to have these tough conversations with people is that they just make a blanket statement, but then... The first question Pearson's going to ask is, can you give me an example? Or when did this happen? You have to have specific feedback in order to be able to really make the moment tangible for them. And as well as it helps you prepare with how you're going to deliver that feedback and using that example as a as context. So really, really important for that context. Also, this is where your personal brand comes into play a lot because, as April said at the beginning, conflict can generally make people uneasy. So you need to be really honest with yourself about how you handle situations like this because it's not easy. It's not easy for anybody. We can tell you with practice it gets better, and definitely with preparation it helps you understand when you're going in there how to be intentional so that you know how you want to show up. So if you get nervous, if you get upset, if you get tend to get aggressive or tense, think about how you're going to change the way that you show up, both through your appearance, which could be your verbal and your physical stature, as well as your behaviors and actions, so you can have a very uh, productive exchange of information here. Because anything that you do to detract from that is going to really diminish the Uh, impact of your message. And you want to make sure your message comes through clearly. It comes through concisely. It's direct without being overly mean. And the other person clearly hears you and understands. And then when you're done, stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Say what you need to say. That's why having um, a message track or or message points helps you to stay really clearly in tight with what you want to say, how you want to say it. But then shut your mouth. We have a tendency to ramble, especially if we're feeling uncomfortable or tense in the situation. That doesn't do anybody any good. It diminishes your impact. It diminishes the clarity of your message. And it makes the other person feel like there's something emotional in here that's above and beyond 
what should matter, which is the feedback that you're giving that person and how that person is intercepting and in, in clearly um, in interpreting the feedback. Yeah. And I just want to emphasize the point again, right? This is not about you. And we talked about respect also in the previous point. And so the best thing you can do to Anne's point is to prepare for the conversation. Practice if you have to. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, boil it down to the few things that you know you must communicate and keep reiterating those to yourself. So at the very least, that comes out. And then, you know, I love the just stop talking piece because (laughs) it makes me laugh every time. It's like people just do have that tendency to ramble and then it comes back inevitably every time I've seen this happen to them. And then you get off track and the person's left feeling like, well, wait, well, where do we start with this feedback? What am I supposed to take away? Mm-hmm. And it, it just unravels really, really quickly. So prepare, especially if you haven't had a chance to do this a lot. Sit down, look at yourself in front of the mirror. I mean, all those you know, age old things that people talk about that sound so silly when you hear them. It really is true. Give yourself a chance to practice so that that person gets the right message from you. Yeah, it's a number one rule of PR too. Um, well, maybe the number two rule of when you do PR, number one is don't say anything that you don't want to show up on the New York Times the next day. <laughs> yeah. Um, but number two is don't fill in the silence with just senseless words. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the person's going to react a certain way. They, they might have a little bit of an emotional moment, which we're going to talk about in a second. Just be quiet. Just be present and give the person a chance to kind of process through that. You don't need to fill those awkward moments of silence or emotional processing with more and more words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah. which you set me up very nicely for the next point. Yep. Which is number three is give the other person the chance to respond. And I'll take this one coming off the heels of stop talking. And to Anne's point, don't add filler. You don't need to do that. But what you can do is give a pause. You know, you can tell if the person has already digested or if they're processing, you know, give them a minute. Let it be silent for a bit. And then ask the other person calmly if they understand the feedback and if they're clear on the direction. So what is the expectation the next time or what needs to be changed? It's giving the feedback but then helping them toward a path to action so that they don't feel like they're left floundering, not understanding what to do next to address the feedback that was given. Then allow them to ask you any questions. Discuss the answers. Take the time. Again, emotional, uncomfortable situation. But the faster you get it over with, and that means not speed-wise, but like have the conversation right then, the quicker you can then move on and get past the moment. We, we always like to say, though, if you start talking in circles or if the person seems to be processing and then they're asking the same question over and over, they might not be at a point yet where they can truly internalize all the steps of what needs to come next. Um, sometimes people just need to step away. I mean, I'm a processor. We've talked about mm-hmm. that a lot on the show before. I like to, and I know this about myself, go away. You know, if in a feedback situation, if someone gives me feedback and I don't feel like I'm in a place to respond right away, I thank them for the feedback and say, I'd like to go away and think about this and have another conversation. That is totally fine. Now, if you do that, get the time on the calendar literally the next day. Don't let this be, you know, dragged out. Give them the night to think about it or sleep on it or whatever, and then get back to it. Again, don't let it linger. But again, it's all about respect for the other person. And so, 
they need to feel like they can be heard about the situation as well. You don't want to get into an argumentative talk track. You don't mm-hmm. want them to say, I, that's not how it happened or that's not how I remember. You know, you're the boss or the person that is tasked with giving this feedback to the person. That needs to be delivered and then kind of preserved for the message of what it was. You don't want to get into that back and forth debate, but you do want to help them with clarity and what they need to go do next. Just make sure that you allow the time to actually have the conversation. These things mm-hmm. should not be rushed. Um, they don't need to be belabored, but they shouldn't be rushed. So make sure that you're allowing that time because that's really just not honoring um, the conversation that is being had. And remember, the other person's perception is their reality. And in this mm-hmm. case, this is your perception is your reality. So April, when you were saying, hey, the other person's probably going to argue back, that's fine that they argue back. Your response can be very simply, hey, I get it, mm-hmm. but listen, this is what I'm taking away from the mm-hmm. situation. This is my perception. This is my reality. So let's have a conversation about that. That's really helpful if you're doing lateral uh, conversations and you're giving feedback to team members or colleagues um, or even people that might be reporting into you, which is um, a- another great way to kind of facilitate that conversation. Yeah, and I would say a really specific tip is do these at the end of the day. I know it can be Mm -hmm. tough for you as the person delivering the message and you might be sweating it all day long and thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm sort of distracted because I have to have this conversation. But it is really good and conscientious, really, of the other person to have it at the end of the day. That way, even if the day is not totally over, they can depart if they feel like they need to. It gives the whole evening for them to internalize and think about it. Um, it gives some just space from the situation and not in a way of avoiding it, but in allowing it to kind of soak in. And so I've made the mistake plenty of times before and being like, I want to get this over with. So having the first, mm-hmm. you know, first meeting of the day is the conversation. But in a lot of cases, you ruin the day for the other person. And I think that that's just kind of cruel <laughs> if I really think about it and selfish. Mm-hmm. So just a little tip there to, to yeah, wait till the end point. of the day. All right. Number four of the tenets of having tough conversations. Be kind but firm and then move on. Anne. Yeah. So there is a misconception that when you're giving feedback or you're having a tough conversation that you physically and verbally have to be tough and overly direct. (laughs) Now, we said that you need to be direct to the point that your message is very clear and concise and so that the other person can easily understand you and process it. But you don't have to be mean. You should still be human. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's really, really important in these conversations because that is the element of respect. Because, I mean, in in reality, when you're giving feedback to somebody, you know, or in a matter of having a tough conversation – it is a actually um, a sign of respect that you mm-hmm. respect that person enough in order to be able to have that conversation with them, even if you have to let them go. I mean, how many times have we kept on people way longer oh. than we should have, which doesn't do a service to the businesses that we're working for or that person? Mm-hmm. I mean, that. And how many times have you heard when that person has finally been let go, they go find something else and they're so much happier? Mm -hmm. So really, you're just diminishing that opportunity for the person to move on. And so that is actually a sign of respect. So if you can go in with your conversations with that in mind, the way that you actually are in the conversation and the way that you are communicating the conversation becomes a lot more productive and a lot more respectful and a lot more human. Don't be a robot when when you go in there. 
Yeah. So, and I think the other thing that's worth reiterating here is the value of personal brand and respecting your own personal brand. So I think part of the reason that people find tough conversations so tough is because of this misconception that you have to be super direct and almost like borderline mean. (laughs) And that is definitely not the case. The best thing you can do is be really clear on who you are. Again, we've talked about how you may react to these situations or how you may have a hard time with them. But then channel your personal brand and the things that are good about you and authentic to you and comfortable to you and take on that tone in delivering the message. It will allow for consistency of communication from the other person. It will take down the emotion in the moment. It will allow you and them to find a sense of comfortability because that's the way that you always communicate with them, even though you're delivering a tough message. And overall, it just makes these things a lot easier to do. And then once you do that, you've now developed your personal style to dealing with tough conversations, which will make it easier for you and the other person as you have to do them again and again. Yeah. And two points to build on there is one is be very careful with the feedback sandwich, which, you know, the, the nice, the, you know, not so nice and then the nice thing um, on the tail end, because what that tends to do is hide the actual message. Mm-hmm. And when you're having a tough conversation, you really need to highlight that 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 message that is the opportunity area for them so that they hear it loud and clearly. Um, otherwise, people tend to hear what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. They hear the things on the, you know, the, the, the outside and the end and kind of miss that middle part. So be careful in, in using that. That doesn't mean that you can't give them positive feedback as well, but just make sure it's very clearly delineated of the opportunistic feedback. And make sure that you provide some closure to mm-hmm. the conversation with regards to what is going to happen next or what do you expect from the person next or how is this going to then show up or when you're going to communicate whatever is going on, like whatever the next step is or whatever the action is, make sure that's clearly stated and a timeline is given as well. So the person isn't left hanging wondering what's going to happen next. Yeah. And sometimes that's it. Sometimes the conversation is just over, right? Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's a mistake that was made. Like I think I've used the analogy before where we ordered a few thousand umbrellas instead of the (laughs) couple hundred that we needed. And all of the, that poor guy, I still think about that situation often. But in that instance, it was, okay, let's all learn from this. It was a true mistake. We have to have the conversation about paying attention to details, but we're not, there are no next steps other than please, for the love, do not order, you know, thousands of umbrellas again. And don't keep bringing it up either. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's my point. Well, yeah, so we, we, (laughs) you know, we we let a few months pass. And then all of a sudden, I think one day, everybody went into the closet and got an umbrella umbrella and walked around with them just to kind of like get his goat. But anyway, in any case, the point is timing. Yeah, if, if it's really one of those situations where it's not something that needs to be addressed ongoing, just end it at that point. Okay, on to our next segment for all of you that listen to us regularly. It's In the Trenches, and this is where we give real-world examples, and they might be specific to industries and situations, but they always have a broad application so that any of you listening can digest and then immediately put these thoughts into action. So the first one is less of a question, more of a give an example. So give an example of where you felt like a tough conversation went really well. And one that went 
not so well. All right, we're going to get real now. So here, you know, I yeah, I know we've gotten a lot of feedback about how these are fun for people, and also they like to watch a squirm or listen to a squirm, I guess, rather. <laughs> so so here we go. So I'll do both of mine, and then I'll, I'll hand it over to Anne. So the first one um, turned out to be a good situation, or the resolution, I guess, rather, was good. But the lead up to that was a little bit disastrous. And so I had this situation where a coworker and really a peer, um, he came more from the creative side and I was more the strategy side. And we were also introducing strategy as a practice to the organization. So it was a little bit of a sticky situation in total. And our points of view about strategy could not have been more opposite. Mm -hmm. And so we were in a situation where I was tasked with running uh, the new business for this potential opportunity, and it was a heavy, heavy strategy up front to then get into creative executions that would deliver on the insights and things that we built on the front end. And really, this client wanted to see whether we could quickly pick up their industry, find some insights that were unique to them, not just category speak, and then deliver, you know, blow them away with our creative execution. And so I was paired up with this guy and we just could not get on the same page. And so I'm trying to lead and push things forward. We're also trying to teach a strategy process as it's happening because I'm trying to, you know, show by example, these are the types of things we're talking about and felt like that was the best way. And I still do to, to educate people on what we were doing and why and bring everybody along so that the next time everybody had already been through this process. So we would gather a large portion of the agency at key points in the process where we would unlock kind of the different deliverables that we were going to be presenting. And without fail, I mean, I think we had three or four room clearing conversations start where we felt like we had to dismiss the teams because as leaders in the organization, it was a bad look. Also, we were just confusing. Then we were having situations where it was like parting of the seas, where the creatives were leaning mm -hmm. toward him and the accountant strategy were leading toward me. And then people were starting to argue among themselves. And it, it took a while for us to be able to come to the table calmly and work it out. And so what we both ended up doing is instead of situationally addressing things as they came up in the room, we took a time out. We went out to lunch, left the building, had a very, very honest conversation about where we both stood, but also where we were willing to concede certain things and work together for the betterment of our internal teams, but also this client that we were approaching. And for me, I mean, I'm stubborn and I like to compete and I like to argue. I mean, I, it was not a good look <laughs> for me. Um, and it wasn't a good look for him either because he was digging his heels in and, and his way of f fighting is to not respond, period. And so we were a bad duo just from communication style. Um, but, you know, we worked it out and actually we ended up winning that account. It was one of the very first strategic oriented accounts for the organization. It was a huge retainer. It was a big deal. It was a new category we'd never worked in. But we had to get over ourselves, first of all. We had to come to an agreement. And in some cases, we were agreeing to disagree. It was like, this is my mm -hmm. field. This is my world. 
don't disrespect me and cut me down in front of the team. And then, you know, he's like, this is new to me. So how about we talk about this beforehand before you throw it on me in the room and then I'm supposed to react in front of everybody. So it was a matter of here's how we're going to work together at a high level. Here's how we're actually tactically going to work together in the room. We are done with these knockdown drag out fights, especially in front of everybody else. And we're holding each other accountable to these things. And I will say, looking back, that is one of the top 10 career learning moments for me. He's also still a really great friend. Um, we learn to just get over it, appreciate each other from a professional standpoint. And then we realize we actually like each other at the end of the day. But really, I mean, a tough one for me to get through. So although it sounds kind of negative as I go through, it ended up being a huge learning moment, I think, for both of us. And I think the the one thing that you guys found common ground on was that the work was the most important thing, yeah. right? Yep. And I think that we speak about that a lot, about founding that one big goal that mm-hmm. everybody can work towards that takes the team to do and it takes more than just yourself to do because mm-hmm. that starts to put provide perspective that – you know, we need everybody in order to achieve this goal. You weren't going to win that account on your own. He wasn't going to win the account on its own. So mm-hmm. on his own. So you had to work together and you had to find a way to work together in order to achieve the common goal. And I think that helps to set a mission that kind of gets you out of your own way in mm-hmm. some cases um, so that you can have the tough conversations. You can um, ha- have those concessions or those negotiations so that you can both operate and do what you need to do and what you do best in order to achieve that one common goal. Yeah. And I think that that's probably what the, the little seed of respect started. I think you make a really good point as we both realized that we were coming from a place of positive intent and that we both really love and respect the work mm-hmm. that we do. And once we were able to hit that, then it made all the rest of it easier because we just had to keep reminding ourselves to we have the same goal, to your point. We may not, we may look at it differently, but at the end of the day, we want to win this account and do great work for the client. And you have different jobs to do in order to get it. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. All right. Moving on to my bad one here. Full disclosure, we get into a little bit of PTSD, and this guy is still on my list and will be on my list forever. Um, I'll just be really honest there. But in any case, (laughs) (laughs) this is someone that I could not find a way to get along with. And unfortunately, um, this was a situation where we just fundamentally did not agree on experience versus direct experience in an industry versus being able to take learnings from all of your experience and bring them back. And so I had a situation where I was the director on an account and the and this often happened a lot of times the relationship started right with the new business person or it was someone that they personally knew and were bringing in or a contact or whatever. So it wasn't uncommon for the new business person to check in or for the client to reach out with feedback, positive or not, to that new business person. So that was not the problem. I, you know, It wasn't a matter of me trying to be protective of the account. It wasn't him doing anything wrong from having the conversation. But what I didn't appreciate is he went to my boss, to the head of the department, to give some feedback from the client about some outages they saw on the account and instead of having a conversation with me at all. Mm -hmm. And so I was pulled into this room. He was conveniently not in the office that day, and it wasn't because of traveling of new business. And so I get pulled into this room with the head of the department, him on the phone, to be given the feedback that the client didn't feel like they were getting 
all of the support based on what the proposal had been. I can't remember all the exact specifics. It was nothing like dire, right? It was like, hey, we think we have a miss here. We've gone down this path and we don't understand how we got here and we know you better than we know April. And so we're calling to kind of figure it out, right? But going over my head elevated the situation. And I didn't take kindly to that because it's not the way that I would have operated. But I stayed calm in the meeting and we got through it and we addressed it. And like I said, it was nothing major. It was cleaned up that afternoon. And we you know, said, apologies. I think we just were misaligned on this. Let's get this off on the right track. Appreciate the feedback. We're good to go. But I wasn't really willing to let it go there because I just felt like I didn't understand where he was coming from. And that really wasn't the protocol of the organization. So I asked him the next time he was physically in the office if he could come to my office and we could have a conversation about it because it just wasn't sitting well with me. And so he came to my office and I was like, all right, you know, I just want to give you my point of view. So to some of the previous points that we made, right, my perception is my reality. My previous experiences inform the way that I react in any given situation. And this was a sensitive one for me. And I laid that out. I said, listen, I am going to tell you right now that I think my perception is what you did was unfair to me because I'm mm-hmm. the director of the account. I get that it was your contact first. I totally respect that. I know that you talked to the clients. I'm good with that. But when a situation that's not in my mind that big of a deal comes up, I don't know why you elevated and went above my head to my boss. And I'm just sitting here thinking I'm a director on the account, which by definition of this company means I'm the lead. And he got very aggressive very quickly. And I'll never forget the look on his face and just kind of like the the physical change in him. And he said, quite frankly, I don't respect you. I don't respect your work. And I do not believe you deserve the director title because you've only been in this office for less than a year. Wow. And I was like, okay, fine. We're going to agree to disagree. This conversation's over. I can't do anything about the fact that I've been in this office for a year. Clearly, you see things very differently than I do. I do have 12 years of experience at this point, but obviously that's not of credit to you. So agree to disagree. Wow. Yeah, I was going to say, I know why he did it. Ego, for one. Wow. And and in two, there was no respect yeah. in order to come to you and have that conversation, right? Yeah. So that <laughs> the fact that he said that was actually very... <laughs> very honest. So like, yeah. I guess you can appreciate that. But um, I, I yeah, and, and I think that, again, goes back to the point that we we're making is that when you get, take the time to have that conversation, a tough conversation with somebody, you're showing that you respect them mm-hmm. enough to be able to have that conversation. Yep. When you go over somebody's head, you're basically telling them that they don't mean anything to mm-hmm. you, that they're not important. And it's always perceived as an ego play. Yep. Always 100% of the time. And I'm going to actually give an example on that when I get to mine, too. But that all being said, if you are a leader in that position and you sent, and you see that somebody is doing that, the very first thing you should say is, did you have a conversation with the person who's on the account? Yep. Yep. And then you refuse to engage until yes. that conversation actually happens. Yep. And if that person refuses to have the conversation, then you ask, why? Mm-hmm. And then he would have had to have that conversation with your boss and say, well, um, I what I mean, was he going to say, I don't like her. I'm not going to have that conversation with her. No. I mean, so as a leader, please, please, please do not facilitate these types of behaviors. Make your people have the tough conversations. If they don't feel comfortable having them, help them. Mm -hmm. Get them training. Let them do some practicing. Give them Mm -hmm. some suggestions. Give them some mentoring and coaching advice, whatever. But you have to enable and you have to 
empower your people to have the tough conversations. Or you're going to run around with a bunch of people who are only out for themselves and there's not going to be that that sense of respect. So, Yeah. Well, and I think you're exactly right in all of that that you just said. And what I was constantly working against in that office was the camaraderie of the fact that these people had worked together, some of them for like 22 years. And so he went to her because they'd worked together. I think she'd been there 11 years at that point, And he'd been there 22, I think. And so it felt more comfortable than having to come to the, the newbie, perceived newbie, and have the conversation. Well, he was hoping she would take care of it, and she yeah. did. Yeah, well, exactly. He didn't have to even, like, get involved until you made him have to have a conversation. Otherwise, he would have been totally fine not yep. having the conversation, letting somebody else, you know, handle his dirty work for him. Exactly. Will, which I find really infuriating, <laughs> obviously. Now she's getting mad on my behalf, and now I I'm going to pass the mic over to her. So sure. here we go. <laughs> All right. Um, so this is my example um, of a of a good tough conversation, and ironically, it's a conversation that was had with me when my role was being eliminated, which set up my departure from P and G. Um, this was done by two, three bosses above. So if you can imagine, this person is um, very busy, very stretched for time, has a lot of priorities. Um, and he took the time because of our personal relationship to have this conversation with me directly, especially since he was making the decision. And so I really, really appreciated that, that he did not send somebody else mm-hmm. or even my direct boss to come have that conversation with me. He chose to come and have that conversation with me because it was the decision he was making and he wanted to make sure he set up the right context and we had the right conversation around it. So that I thought was extremely admirable. It set the right tone for the for the meeting. Um, and it helped me understand that I was still valued in the organization because of the fact that he was the one having the conversation with me. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a lesson of have, make sure the right person is having it. Again, back to the point we we're just making, don't defer it to some random person because you don't feel comfortable doing it. It's a sign of respect. So um, in having that conversation with me, he basically opened up with like, hey, listen, Anne, we're eliminating your role. I mean, there was no like much of a preamble. If there was, I don't really recall it. It was very quick and to the point and to everything that we were saying before about being direct, clear, concise. It's like, we're eliminating your role. And I was like, huh, okay, why? (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, and then he was very clear about that. He goes, people just aren't valuing the work. And I'm like, That was really, really hard for me to hear, extremely hard for me to hear. And I had a million reasons why they should be valuing the work. And he's like, you know what? You're right. But they just aren't. And Mm -hmm. right now we have to make a decision because other things were happening in the organization. And um, I need to take the head count down in this role, which I created for myself to be totally like overtly honest. So it was something that I created in order to try to move the organization in, in a little bit of a different space. So I knew I was going outside the machine. I knew that there was that risk. So I just want you to think, you know, anybody to think that, you know, I was being undercut or or, or somehow um, diminished. I had taken on that role knowing that that could happen. So he's like, you know, you're doing, you know, he's he personally thought he saw value in the work, but he says they're just not seeing it yet. And it's, you know, we have to move in a different direction. And I was like, okay. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, and even though it's hard to hear, it would have been, it would have been worse, way worse if he had tried to kind of sugarcoat it a whole lot more or try to like feedback sandwich it where I'm missing the really big point, which it was the critical point of people just aren't valuing this work, mm-hmm. you know? And I say it was before my time. I still think that was the case, but <laughs> it just wasn't going to happen then. 
So then he quickly moved on to, okay, you know, here's your options. And I had a lot of really good options. So, um, and there was, you know, a lot of desire to move me into a different area. Um, and, um, you know, I was given a lot of support in order to go do that. Um, so there was a lot of really good structure and people who were um, set up to to make that happen for me. But you know, at that moment, I had decided, actually, I decided like two months earlier that I had planned to leave the company anyway. Um, I was thinking it was going to be in two years, um, not like in, you know, five months, but it just <laughs> accelerated my um, my timeline a little bit. And so, um, you know, that actually was the kind of the kick I needed to be like, you know what, what I want to deliver here, what I want to do here, I'm not going to be able to do, at mm-hmm. least not in the near future. And I, when I looked at everybody else's rules, I was like, I just don't want anybody else's rule. Like, I'm not going to be fulfilled. I'm not going to be happy. So he actually did me a favor by, you know, being very clear and honest with me that like, hey, listen, what you want to do is probably not going to be a reality. It's just the company is just not moving in that way. And there's other things that are going on that are going to you know, force us to take more direct action in these areas. And I'm like, I don't want to work in those areas. And so it was it's such a benefit. So I um, applaud him for having, first of all, having that conversation with me directly, giving me the very direct and clear feedback, not waffling or, mm-hmm. you know, making it a, you know, feedback sandwich to the point that, you know, he, it was starting to diminish the message, gave me options and closure with the conversation and offered to have another conversation with me about it or as many conversations as I wanted to have about it um, in order to kind of decide what was right for me. So that was my example of a good one. Yeah, and it's because you it led me led you to me. So, well, uh, yeah. Of now course. you're happy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what I did in those two years prior to like finding you, but I mean, damn, got me where I needed to be. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think the point that all those points are exactly right, and I mean, Anne made the point earlier of you don't do anybody a service by, you know, dragging it out or not delivering the clear message, but. I think the clear feedback to me of I get what you're trying to do, but the company is not going to support it puts the onus on you then to decide what does that mean for Mm -hmm. me next. And I think that that pivotal moment is so often missed because people make so many mistakes in having the tough conversation. Yeah, I think so, too, because then the opportunities don't present themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you still kind of like linger with some hope. Yes, right. Exactly. And that, that's the worst thing is to have hope when there really isn't any. He mm-hmm. basically said, you have no hope of doing what you want to do in this business unit. You may have it in some other of the other business units. Maybe not. You're, you know, we'll support you to go find like he didn't linger me on and think yeah. that there was hope. And that's the other thing I think that a lot of people um, who are having these conversations tend to <laughs> tend to uh, to do is they kind of leave out that you know linger that carrot of hope and in, in thinking that maybe that might motivate somebody mm-hmm. or maybe then I don't they don't have to be so direct and like and, and so black and white but that, again it doesn't do anybody mm-hmm. service if he had given me hope that somehow maybe in like six months mm-hmm. or a year that this was going to change you know I might have stuck it out but he was very clear it's not going to change and it's not going to change in any of the near future. I just don't see it. And I respected him enough that I I understood that what he was saying was true. Yes. Um, and so I, when people tell you the truth, listen. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you, you have to really, really listen and internalize that. Yes, exactly. 
All right. So my bad one, which is kind of ironically kind of very similar to yours and has to do with an agency I worked with. So, Oh, well, hey. Yeah. I was in the agency. You love agencies, you know. <laughs> I know. And I did love several of my agencies. And I actually personally liked this agency. I just didn't like um, the way that the relationship was set up or how I was expected to act in the relationship. Um, and I thought it really diminished um, from our ability to do good work. And so um, this was a um, a brainstorming session in Cincinnati where, of course, the agency brings 10 people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and I had asked them to prepare um, for this as, as, within, with regards to a certain like assessment that I wanted them to go through and some thinking I wanted them to go do and some analysis I wanted them to go do. When they came to this meeting, which was supposed to be like a three or four hour meeting, you know, that 10 people were coming for, they hadn't done anything that I asked them to do. And instead, they decided, well, we heard you, but we decided this was best. And I'm like, so what part of this did you guys not understand um, with, re- you know, with regards to I asked you to set this up. You didn't come with any of this. And now, you know, we're supposed to have a three to four hour meeting on what? OK. And I was furious. I was furious because this is not the first time that they have done this to me. And so I was pretty upset. My appearance totally changed. Like I was like rubbing my temples, like my body posture was like um, all hunched over. I mean, I was mad. And the words that came out of my mouth were very short, very like pointed. And um, now, and you have to remember that in this agency, they're very sensitive. Um, there were several creatives in the room that tend to be overly sensitive. That's just my bias. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, uh, and there was a lot of, um, and a lot of females, all right? So I am, painting a picture. I'm not trying to be stereotypical at all, but I tell you this so you can internalize the situation I was in and not make my mistakes. Okay. So in that, in that case, um, my, the way that I was behaving, my appearance, um, especially my verbal, my physical was not well received. Um, after an hour, when I got them back on track to actually do what I asked them to do, we had a very productive meeting from there on and we ended up in a really good place. Now, that all being said and done, I left the meeting like, okay, the rocky start, we got through it. It was great. I was authentic in my, in you know, in, in the way that I was. They understood I was upset and they should have been seeing that I was upset because they didn't do what I asked them to do, nor was it productive to the conversation we were having. But they decided that um, they were going to report my behavior to their owner of the agency, who then went way above um, my boss, like two or three levels above my boss, and it all came down to me, all right? And then the feedback was that I wasn't collaborative, that I made them feel uncomfortable because I was upset, um, and that I was basically um, very short and very um, uh, aggressive in my in my messaging, all of which was true. But there was no responsibility taken on the other side at mm-hmm. all, which made me even more mad <laughs> that that was ha- happening. But that all being said, you know, that tough conversation I did not handle very well. Mm-hmm. Um, I should have had a better um, understanding of the people that I was in the room with. I should have uh, understood that me, especially Italian, 
Um, I mean, I know I get loud, I get passionate, I take, I mean, people tell me I take up, you know, a lot of space when I walk in a room that it causes people to sometimes, you know, my intensity causes people to kind of get overwhelmed. I should have known that. I should have backed it off. I should have actually probably excused myself from the room for a second, mm-hmm. gone and kind of cooled myself down and then come back and try to be more productive in the conversation. Um, so that's me not being um, handling a tough conversation really well, um, despite the fact that I was totally right, <laughs> totally right. And everything that I was saying and doing and, you know, my my position was right. But the feedback I got, it, like it was a ding on my ability to be able to handle those kinds of conversations, which was really, really important to senior management, especially when you're talking about promotion. So um, you got to keep in mind the context. You got to keep in mind the bigger picture. You got to keep in mind what is going to help people actually engage in a productive way mm-hmm. um, and avoid trying to shut people down, avoid trying to be like, you know, that overly direct, tough person that, I mean, actually I have a tendency to be, especially when I'm agitated or irritated. So that's a personal brand characteristic you know, about being passionate that I have to watch that in certain contexts, it can go to the negative side if um, I'm, you know, kind of being triggered in that way. Yeah. And I think you said something really important, which is it doesn't actually matter if you're right if you handle the conversation badly. Yeah. And that's a really good lesson to learn. And it's one that the quicker you can get that under control, the better. Yeah. Because the last thing you want is people to disengage or be scared to engage with you and then have that roll downhill like it did to you. And you have to then work against it to get back up. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, agreed. Yep. Hard lesson. All right. Number two, what do I do if the other person reacts emotionally? So we chatted a little bit about this before, and we talked about giving people space to process, letting them take a silent moment to digest, and that emotions can be high. And reacting emotionally can be a lot of things. I think my interpretation here is getting emotional in a, you know, teary or or yelling or, you know, like a extreme emotional response to things. And so I think the best thing that you can do is just sit calmly, acknowledge that the feelings are happening, but not letting it distract the conversation or getting things off track. So we talked about practicing, being very clear on the few things you need to get across, having some this is what happens next, all of those types of things need to be really, really solid. But we know that, you know, part of the reason there's so much emotion around tough conversations is because of the way people can react emotionally. And so give them the respect, give them the space, allow them to have their moment, but don't let it be an out. Mm -hmm. And so I'll give you an example. Um, I had someone that uh, worked as part of my team, and we had had some uncharacteristically bad behavior from him. And I think it was coming from, you know, we talk about characteristics, right? He was competitive by nature, and he had been the only male on the team for a while, and we had just hired another male. And so that was creating some interesting dynamics for the team. And um, they were kind of, I think, both feeling each other out a little bit, but I think he got overly competitive with this other person and was allowing it to be a distraction. And in that way, it was becoming disrespectful to the other person. 
And so I had to take him aside and have a tough conversation with him about how while competitiveness can be a positive thing, we were seeing some behaviors from him that were not good and that we were not going to tolerate as an organization. And I laid out, like Ann had mentioned before, some examples of where we were seeing it, um, the fact that we felt it was driven by him versus the other person that was on the team, and that our team was our most valuable asset and that the culture of the organization was that you respect the people that you work with. And I think in this instance, he really was not totally aware that he was doing this. I think he probably knew the emotions were there, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, new guy on the block. He seems to do a better job. He's good at these things. You know, I'm not so good at those things. Is this how the team's going? I think there were those feelings. But I don't think that he was intentionally behaving this way. And I think sitting down to have the conversation, he got very emotional. And he teared up and he kind of sat there and he had this dazed look on his face. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to give you a few minutes in here. I went and got some water, came back sat quietly and just sort of waited for him. And he got himself together and he said, you know what, I'm internalizing what you're saying. I'm seeing how it's being perceived this way. I'd like some time to just think about it. And again, to my point about having the conversation end of the day, I was like, why don't you go home? And, you know, it's four or whatever. Just, you know, if you have any meetings or whatever, we can cover. And so he left and he came back the next day and he had kind of a plan for how he was going to act. But more than that, he really felt like he owed the other guy an apology. And I said, well, that's interesting. I said, I I don't know that the other person is really aware that this is happening. Um, but he felt so compelled that he wanted to sit down with that guy and have his own tough conversation about how he hadn't been fair to him and that he wanted to welcome as a member of the team and he wanted to view him being on the team as an asset Mm -hmm. instead. And so a couple weeks went by and he actually came back and thanked me for having the conversation and said that it felt it helped him shed light on some stuff that he wasn't even, like I said, really aware of. And it fixed the whole relationship. And actually, in the end, they were great assets for each other because their skill sets were very different from each Mm -hmm. other. And so they were able to find that and really work as a pair. And so I think just overall, right, I could have shied away from the emotion. Um, He could have shied away from the emotion. It could have gotten very uncomfortable. It could have become a more volatile situation. But I think... Given the space, acknowledging the emotions, and then pushing forward to make sure that there was resolution landed us in a really good place. That's really good advice. What about if somebody gets emotional to the point, like you are mentioning before, that they get aggressive or hostile? Sure. How do you deal with that? Yeah. So um, I think we have a question coming up about involving HR, which sometimes it does get to that level. Um, But in the example I gave before... When that other person rounded on me the way that he did and got really, really aggressive, in that situation, I felt like we were headed toward diminishing returns. Like there there just wasn't going to be a resolution that was going to be positive and he was just going to continue to escalate because he felt like I had backed him into a corner. And so in that particular instance, when it came to anger, I just felt like opting out was the best thing to do. Um, I think that people that get aggressive, some people yell 
and they're not actually threatening. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like it's just their immediate response. Like I will say my dad's like the biggest teddy bear in the world, but when something happens, he has to just let it all out. I know that he's never going to do anything, right? And so I think there are some points where if you have a respectful relationship and the person reacts like this and you're like, oh, I know that this is their tendency, you can wait it out just like you wait out the tears or whatever else it might be. If you feel like it could escalate to a place you're not comfortable with or especially if it's a fly off the handle to the point where you feel like they're a danger, then that's when you have to go and get HR. So I think thinking about the person and who they are, whether their reaction is really harmful or harmless, and then being patient enough to sit through the toughness of that experience, no matter what the emotion is. Yeah. And if you don't have HR, I think the point that you made was a really good one of like, just get yourself out of the situation yes. Yes. as fast as possible. Yes. Um, there's there's no reason to try to wait that out, try to make that person feel better, try to bring their energy down. Like, it's just not going to happen in that moment. Um, so <laughs> I would just say, hey, listen, I would just tell them, you're obviously, you know, having mm-hmm. a big reaction to this. I'm going to give you time to process. Let's reconnect. But I'm going to leave right now. Yes. Very <laughs> and fair it, point. just very clear, very simple, very straight to the point and then get out. Yes. Yeah. Totally agree. All right. Number three, how can I be better about having tough conversations that are about me? So we've talked about this <laughs> and talked about this with her example. I talked I've about it with my – yeah. Um, but what I think what we want to run through here is just some tips that we feel like have helped us, mm-hmm. feedback that's actually been given to us to try these things. Um, and really I think it's about being proactive and then working through and practicing mm-hmm. to get better if you don't inherently do well in these situations or you don't take feedback about yourself very well. So the first thing is do not get defensive right off the bat. Like Anne used in her example, right? She got mad. It was visible. It was all over her face, her body language. This makes you completely unapproachable. Yep. It doesn't have good repercussions from, you know, when it gets elevated, it doesn't have good outcomes for or expectations for the next time you're going to be together and in this situation. It just makes these types of conversations even worse and even worse for you. The second one we would say is learn to listen first always. And that goes to the first point. But Anne talked before about how people's feeling toward a situation or perspective are their reality. And none of us are the same. So you got to give the other person a chance to be heard and respected, and then you can respond to the situation. But if they feel like you're not listening or you're closing up or you're putting a wall up or whatever and you're not really hearing what they're saying, that's also really bad behavior on your part. Then we would say if it's a recurring situation, you got to do the work to seek out the underlying issue and then work through it. So if you're having tough conversations often or every time you have a tough conversation, it goes the same way and it doesn't go well, you need to take some time outside of those situations to think about what you're doing that is then leading to those outcomes. Be very honest with yourself. Again, this goes back to personal brand. This is another time we would say coach you to really go and think through that lens of what are your characteristics? How are you appearing? What behaviors and actions are you taking that are then leading you to the same Mm -hmm. result every time? And be honest and true with yourself and then work to fix whatever that is. And then the last thing we would say is it never gets 
comfortable, right? It's called a tough conversation for a reason. But if you're open and objective versus closed off and emotional, you can change your reactions and your behaviors to be a better situation for everyone involved, including yourself. And I will say that me personally, when I was younger, I felt like any feedback was bad. I did mm-hmm. not have the ability to hear it, really, or or definitely not welcome it. And so I felt like I was always on this track where I had to be aggressive and I had to fight for what I wanted and I had to make sure I was heard and that was the most important thing and that was the way to win. And it made my path harder when I was young. And I remember someone sitting me down saying, April, we get that you're you love the work and you want to do the right thing and you get frustrated when things don't feel fair and you know, you get emotional and you get riled up. And there's part of that that we love. But that is never going to serve you when someone comes to you with feedback and you automatically want to jump at them and respond and make it something they did versus something you did. Yeah, and I I, I think that's so natural because we're always trying to be – you know, a, a better version of ourselves, uh-huh. right? And so the feedback feels like a personal attack versus an opportunity for growth. Mm-hmm. Um, I got it a ton when I was young too, because you don't want to be seen as like the new one who doesn't actually have it all together. And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't know everything. You kind of want to escalate your your level of um, uh, your years in the company, like <laughs> astronomically, like, you know, if you've been there a year, like it's supposed to feel like 10 years, right? Yeah. You know, so you want to get that respect right away. But you got to realize that respect takes time. What I've found to try to make it feel less personal is to workshop it. So you mentioned uh-huh. the personal brand. It's like personal brand workshop yourself. Like mm-hmm. if it feels less personal, even though it says personal brand, when you're thinking about what you want to achieve as a result. So Mm -hmm. if your outcome is like, yeah, I really want to get promoted, all this feedback is just an opportunity and data for you to do something different Mm -hmm. in order to get you promoted. Yes. You know, so if people are giving you this feedback, gosh, listen. I mean, some of it, you know, you might find is not, the best feedback, not every, not all feedback you get, you should listen to and adopt and internalize, but you at least should listen to it and say, hey, is there something here? And is this perception the reality of more than just them? And are yeah. those, is that reality like something that is going to uh, get in the way of me being able to achieve this outcome? Well, if it is, and I need to do something about reality, whether I'm right or wrong, that person is right or wrong, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's all about how can you position and cultivate your personal brand so that what you're selling is what other people want to buy. Mm-hmm. And in this case, you are selling yourself as a promotion. You want somebody then to say, yes, I want to buy you in that promotion. It has to meet up. Yes. It, and it, it it doesn't really matter whether or not, again, you're right or wrong or they're right or wrong. It has to match up. So sometimes that helps take the personal side of it as like, oh, this is just somebody telling me how I'm going to get to be promoted. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. And then you can go and you can act accordingly. Yes. And I think you do yourself no favors if you just – live in that emotional spin of versus, it's not fair yeah. or, or that they're just being mean and you know yeah. all those places that we tend to go when we feel you know sorry for ourselves so yeah i think if you look at it all to ann's point as an opportunity for growth and learning whether you take the feedback or not and apply it that is the mature lens to look through yep all right i'm gonna hand this one to ann What do I do, number four, if the other person is totally taken off guard by the conversation? 
Right. And so here um, is where you got to (laughs) know that they're going to feel or going to position themselves as being taken off guard, even if they're not. (laughs) So the, the most common reactions are, I'm surprised. I didn't expect this. Um, that that's going to happen regardless. Now, you can do yourself a big favor by making sure that you're regularly keeping in touch with the people that matter to you with regards to your team, whether it's people you're managing up, people managing down, or your teammates in general, so that you're consistently giving them feedback or you're consistently having those tough conversations on a regular basis so that when these kinds of situations come where you might have to you know, escalate the tough conversation, it's not feeling like it's a surprise because then you can refer back to those those certain things like, well, remember we had that conversation last week Mm -hmm. where I kind of said something very similar and you didn't really like internalize the feedback. I'm seeing you do the exact same thing. This down the, now you're showing continuity, and that's like the the examples that um we mentioned at at the front of this is like that's why those so those are so important is that you're establishing that continuity of of um action and behavior that you can then refer back to when you need to make a point. Yes. If and then and if you're not doing that, of course, and if you're gonna hit them with like the heavy left hook right from the very <laughs> beginning from your tough conversation, there probably are gonna be like you know what the heck is this coming from? This feels like it's out of nowhere. So that's why it's really important to continue to have those those tough conversations um, on a regular basis so that people can be very clear. It's also why it's so important to establish your culture as a leader, right? If you're establishing a culture of this is the way that we behave, and you mentioned this several times about, hey, this is the respect we have for the team. The team is our number one asset. If you guys can't actually behave in the team accordingly, that is going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. You are setting up the cultural expectations right from the beginning. So then you have that to refer back to. It's like, listen, I told you this is going to be a problem. I had that conversation when I went into – um, I moved into fabric care. I was pulled aside. Said they said you're not fitting into the culture here. Here's the culture here. Your behavior is not conducive to the culture here. Something's got to change, or you're gonna have to go. Mm-hmm. Right? But I was clear. I'm like, okie dokie. Not the culture that I thought, but it is very clearly now that I I'm looking around and I'm seeing it. The culture. So I had to make those changes, and I had to make those changes fast. But that was the way that they were able then to take a lot of the subjectiveness out of it, mm-hmm. make it very objective and and demonstrate through their practice that, hey, this is what's going on. So the moral of the story here is that nobody should be taken off guard if you're doing all of these things that you should be doing in order to be able to facilitate these tough conversations on a regular basis, but they'll still act like they are. Yes. Well, and I, I just want to say one thing here too. All, I agree wholeheartedly with all of that, but There are also instances where you might do everything exactly right and the person really is shell-shocked. And in that instance, they really are not a right fit for the organization. I mean, we we had a situation once, and I'll I'll give the example of this one, where – we had done exactly what Ann just outlined. We had communicated this is the culture of the team. We had several instances of offenses that did not align with the culture of the team. There was a certain aggression associated with this person that was like talked about from multiple points of view. We tried multiple people to go have the conversation to iron it out. We did a 30-day plan. We did reports every week. And, then, and the expectation at the end of that was, if this does not change, you are gone. And mm-hmm. so the 30 days ended... I went in with HR because we were, you know, releasing someone. And I said, 
I'm sorry, this really should not come as a surprise, though. Here's where we landed on this 30-day plan. You've had the updates every week. We have not seen growth in any of these areas, and the aggression continues. We have to let you go. And the person was shocked. Like, I mean, I was just like, am I talking to the same person that I've been talking to every day for the past 30 days about this? Like, I don't understand what's happening right now. And so they're rare, but there are those instances. And and for us, it was like that reaction just made everyone feel better that that was completely the right decision because clearly there was a real gap between that personality and the personality and culture of the team. So, Yeah, and I think – the important point here, too, is culture is not just a buzzword. Culture is a defined yes. process, state of being that you have laid out and that everybody knows, understands, is bought into. Mm-hmm. You can't just tell somebody, well, you don't fit into the culture if there's no defined culture. Yes. Right? So um, make sure that you do that appropriately. Yes. All right. Last in the trenches question, number five. I'm going to give Anne this one, too, because she comes from the more um, – corporate background Mm -hmm. when does hr need to be involved Anne? yes and if you are small and you don't have hr i highly highly suggest that then you um get experts where you need experts okay and Mm -hmm. i'll try to um nuance that when we get into these so when do you need hr to be involved Definitely for instances that are against the law or against policy of the organization. So if there's abuse of any kind, you know, there's fraternization regulations that are being violated, you definitely need to bring HR in. Now, again, if you don't have HR, you need to bring somebody else in that is an expert in that area. So whether or not you have um, have to hire a law firm, um, whether or not you have to hire some level of mediator, Mm -hmm. you need somebody that is going to be a third party a person that is not directly related in in the instance that's going to be able to provide that perspective because you're going to be too deep into it, okay? Firing. Um, you must have a witness, and it should always be HR. Again, if it's you don't have HR <laughs> and you're the lone ranger, just make sure you do something to be able to document it, yes. um, whether it's video um, or a recording or something that you have another layer of protection that if somebody – chooses to sue you for some reason, um, a lot of wrongful termination suits going on right now, you have something else to back it up, okay? If they feel uncomfortable about being video to record it, tough. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, it's just tough, okay? If the person's in danger to you or others or worry that they may be, again, we talked about this, especially (laughs) if it's you, um, bring HR in or get out of the situation immediately or make sure um, that they have a... um, somebody to call, whether it's a hotline or something to that effect that they can get the help if they need it, if they're feeling um, like they could be of of harm to themselves. Those are three instances where you really need to have HR. So like I said, instances that are against the law or against policy, firing, or if the person's in danger to your others. Do not use HR as a scapegoat, right? So please, please, please don't do that. We've already talked about how important it was for us through our personal stories to have that direct conversation with the person involved. That is a sign of respect. Do not kick the can down the road. Do not defer these conversations to HR because you are too um, uncomfortable to have them yourself, okay? Um, But do bring them in if you feel like you're in over your head, if you feel like this is way above your ability to be able to handle that conversation, but still don't defer the conversation to them. They can be in the room to help facilitate the conversation, but you still need to lead that conversation. Yes. And I would say to just to reiterate the point of 
you might think that you're doing a good thing by copping out. You will use excuses like, oh, my manager's so good at this, or, oh, this might be an HR thing. Someone bring someone else in, or whatever those things are. You will not progress in your career if you cannot have the tough conversations because that is a proof point. And yes, okay, it's a soft skill, quote unquote. But if you don't have this ability, then by nature, you will not be a good manager or a good leader because this is one of the places that since it is so tough, you have to be able to lead by example. And the Mm -hmm. higher you get in your level, then the more you have to lead by example and teach other people how to do it. And so while, yes, there's role for HR in certain situations um, and there's definitely reasons for you to get out of situations if things feel like there's a danger, you got to be good at having the tough conversations. Yes. And the last thing I'll say about that is make sure you document everything. Yes. Document every conversation you have, what was discussed and the outcome of that, if you sense that this is going to become a pattern. Yes. Um, so that you have that reference to go back to, because especially if you have HR and HR policies, there is always a process for mm-hmm. letting somebody go or for changing their role or for moving them over or whatever is going to happen as a result. And that needs to be documented um, both for um, the if, both to protect yourself and the person that you're having the um, engagement with. Yeah. And even if it's not a pattern of behavior, you have to document anyway and be really clear And this is something that agencies are not always great at is the black and white nature of documentation. So telling someone, you know, we've had this conversation, this is going in your file Mm -hmm. so that they understand the severity of it. And I mean, we had instances at the agency where it wasn't an ongoing thing, but it was enough things that when the person was terminated, they tried the unlawful approach. And it was like, okay, but here's your folder. And then that usually shut down those conversations. All right. So that's your In the Trenches segment. And as we like to do, our third and final segment is usually a real world example where it applies of a brand who is doing this well or not so well. And so I'm going to talk about how Anne and I feel like we practice what we preach and not in a way to pat ourselves on the back. We certainly still make mistakes with each other and with our clients and other people we work with. But given all the experiences that we talked about today and just the importance and then lack of ability that happens out there to have these tough conversations, we've made a really, really conscious effort in our relationship with each other to have the tough conversations and have them on a regular basis. And I would say this started from the moment we met each other, quite frankly, because it wasn't that we talked overtly about it as tough conversations, but we knew the tenets of what was going to be important to both of us as a partnership. Mm -hmm. And we agreed on those and we aligned on them from the very beginning. I would say the first conversation, that's what we really connected on, was what we felt like we wanted out of whatever company or initiative or project or client we worked with. It was before we even decided we were going to partner together. It was very clear that we held those same things near and dear. And so... We started out having conversations at length for several hours a couple times a week for the first several months of our um, relationship with each other. It sounds like we're dating, but I think we've made that analogy before. (laughs) But um, we got really good really early on at pushing back on each other. 
and doing so respectfully. But a lot of our early conversations were tough because we were trying to assess whether we would be good partners for each other. Selfishly on both sides, we were trying to make sure that our concerns were going to be met. Anne always says, I felt like I was going to do all the work. And I felt like P&G people sometimes didn't always know how to do the work. And so that was one <laughs> of the things that, you know, we were feeling out from each other, but then also just trying to figure out what was the solve and what was the offering going to be. So, and not knowing each other super well. And so we got really good and comfortable and into a cadence of communication that we just got used to it with each other. And then if something did come up, like Anne always uses the example of when she offended me and made me feel bad because I was taking a day off work and she meant it innocently. And I said, listen, this is a trigger for me. I feel guilty enough as it is that you're working mm-hmm. and I'm not. And she was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I was totally kidding. I will never say that again. And she never I has. And so it's it's a small stuff. It's the big stuff. But also when we went into the pandemic and we weren't seeing each other all the time and we were building a business from the ground up at that point, we were able to have the conversations over the phone, run clients successfully, be aligned with what needed to happen, give feedback to each other very, very directly, realize it was about the work. I mean, it just takes so much of the emotion out of it and makes us so much better at what we do and so much better for our clients. And so the comment's been made to me before in instances where I've had really strong working relationships with other people and we have the tough conversations, but they aren't visibly tough, that people have taken that and made the comment of like, well, you guys never argue. So how good of a partnership could you actually be? And my point back was always like, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever had. We don't have to have screaming matches for Mm -hmm. you to know that we get along and are aligned. And I think that is the foundation of our business with forthright people. I mean, we named ourselves forthright people because we focus on direct, honest, open, and respectful communications with ourselves and with other people. And if you can't get on board with that, that's kind of your out in the situation because we're going to give you the feedback like it is. And we do the same thing for each other. And so I think when we wrote this episode, it was actually pretty easy to do because not only do we have tons of painful examples, (laughs) we were able to look at what we have done objectively and say, we feel like we've done a pretty good job in this area. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And I think the build I have is that it's all in how you react to, I mean, we chose that we were not going to just have these knee-jerk reactions and where we're automatically going to assume that it's something personal, it's something about us, it's something that we're doing wrong. We were going to ask first of like, hey, is there something I'm not doing well here? Is there something that I did? Or is there something we're not going to just assume? um, Because when you start assuming those things and you don't bring them to the forefront, they do start building and they snowball or, you know, they it creates the elephant in the room, like the analogies that we've used. And so we've intentionally said, um, you know, even when we say like, hey, we don't I don't mean this to sound like overly like direct or whatnot. But here's like I, I don't I don't have any other way of saying it that, mm-hmm. you know, makes sense. So please don't take it that, you know, I'm mad or I don't like it or whatever. So we do take the time and we do intentionally preface some of what we say in order to be better received and heard. So the other person's not sitting there going, geez, did she wake up on the wrong side of the bed today? (laughs) Or is there something I'm really doing? Does she not really like what, you know, I'm doing? I mean, we've had that conversation. We've also had the conversation of like, hey, here's my lane and here's your lane, right? Like we talked about design stuff all the time. And I remember I'll still like reiterate when we were doing the headliner and I tried three times and I was like, and you still didn't like it. I was like, you know what? I think it's time for you to do it. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I was like, yep, I'm done. And I'm like, because I really didn't care as much as she did. So I was like, well, it's just better if you do it because you care a whole lot more than I do. So, um, yeah, so those are things that you kind of have to learn that you don't always have to be great at everything. That's why you have a partner, too. So I think that was by build. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say is we know each other really well now, right? Yeah, we so do. we we preface conversations sometimes, of, especially at our weekly meetings, like, listen, I'm in a mood or, hey, uh, you know, the kids were screaming all last night and I didn't get very much sleep or whatever it is so that the other person knows where we're coming from and that our communication style could be a little raw Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that day. So in any case, it's hard work. But it's not without benefit, and we feel like the benefits far outweigh anything that those tough conversations could throw at you. So, Agreed. Being a fourth white woman can be challenging on a good day, which is why we offer individual and group coaching as well as group trainings and keynotes. Check out our website, forthright-women.com, to learn more. If you find this podcast of value, please rate and review us and share with other women who could use a boost to become a forthright woman.